Welcome to Translating Aging, a podcast about how the science of human longevity is transforming the way we treat disease. In each episode, we bring you conversations with the researchers, entrepreneurs, and investors who are working at the vanguard of the field. Translating Aging is produced by BioAge Labs, a clinical stage biotechnology company developing therapies to extend healthy lifespan by targeting the molecular causes of aging. I'm Chris Patil, VP of Media at BioAge. This year, UCSF, one of the premier biomedical research universities in the U.S., launched the Baker Aging Research Institute, BARI, with the goal of decoding the biology of aging, developing cutting-edge approaches to understanding the aging process, treating diseases of aging, and supporting older adults in living a healthy, vibrant life. With us today to tell us about the new institute are Professor Leanne Jones, who moved from UCLA to UCSF to serve as director of BARI, and Associate Professor Saul Vieta, Associate Director of BARI and also on the faculty at UCSF. Dr. Jones and Dr. Vieta, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Chris, for having us here. So let's just jump right in. I'd love to hear both of your views on what is the mission of BARI overall. Well, perhaps I'll start since I've kind of come in from the outside. When I first started considering taking on this opportunity and I had the chance to meet with a number of different people at UCSF, I realized pretty quickly that there was an incredible opportunity to bring together already existing programs that were focused on aging from several different perspectives. And so I am excited to have the opportunity to provide resources and infrastructure to bridge all of these different groups. I mean, that would include the Memory and Aging Center, the Hillblum Center for Aging at UCSF, the Institute for Health and Aging, which is a part of the nursing school. Of course, we have an incredible geriatrics community and an NIH-funded Pepper Center. There's another Center for Aging, Metabolism, and Emotion that's based in the Department of Psychiatry, and it's headed up by Alyssa Apple. And we've even formed a partnership with the Cal Academy of Sciences. So I'd say that our mission is broad and really focused on building networks and community around aging and, as you've said, improving the outcomes for older adults. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about the structure of the Institute? Who can participate? Who can be a member? So it's really a virtual institute with an administrative hub and several core labs at the Parnassus Heights campus. We've just finished membership drive, for lack of a better word. Our members can be full-time faculty members at UCSF. And our members are at all of the campuses at UCSF. So that would be not only Parnassus, but Mission Bay, Laurel Heights, Mount Zion, and the VA. Again, it's exciting to think that our original vision of bringing people together from across all of the campuses is really coming to fruition. And can you give me a sense of how many faculty have joined thus far? I think it's about 44 or 45 faculty members. I think with the external committee, it's closer to 50, but yeah, 45 to 50 Mm. right now. And we're opening it up each year as people sort of, you know, start doing aging research. There's a lot of people that are interested in it, but the idea of, let's say, if they're doing basic biology or mechanisms, you know, the idea of starting animal models and waiting two years is kind of daunting. And I think the Institute, and I can already hear as people are talking about it and people are, you know, sort of getting some funding to start things going. I think each year we're going to allow more and more people to come, especially once the core is sort of built. But right now it's at around 45 to 50 members. Okay. So it's already the size of a respectable sized department, even kind of a large department at many institutions. And uh, I imagine that includes a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds. Just before we go on into the work that the Institute is doing, what are the responsibilities and benefits of membership in the Institute? Like, what does it actually mean to be a member? 
membership is, as I mentioned, it's the requirement is that you're a full-time faculty member or equivalent at UCSF. And membership brings an ability to have first priority for funding opportunities, as well as the core resources that we're building up currently. In addition, the requirements for membership are that they are going to participate in our internal meetings. That would be data clubs. We call them ingenuity talks. So the people are prepared to share data that are from projects that are in the works. And we also have a pretty clear mission with respect to mentorship and diversity. In terms of opportunities, you know, the way that the institution UCSF is built, we do have many campuses, right? And we have people try and cross-pollinate and talk to each other as much as possible. But I think, especially when Leanne was interviewing and we were having the whole idea of an institute, what we quickly realized is that there are a lot of existing resources that people just don't know about. There was no centralized place, let's say, where you could just sort of send an email and say, hey, is anyone in the geriatrics or is anyone in the clinics collecting, let's say, blood from aging people, something that I would be really interested in? And there wasn't this central place you could go to. Sometimes you would go to a seminar series at a different campus, or sometimes you'd be at a, you know, sort of meeting, even sort of a international or national meeting, and you'd make the connections. And we saw this need to be able to foster these connections organically within UCSF. And that's really one of the main things I think that people will get out of this. It's sort of a central place where you can make connections to facilitate and push your research forward. And of course, in talking to people, we understand that there are limitations to start aging research, things like old animals or samples or storage of samples. There's people that are trying to do new models like you know, naked mole rats, and that's not available. So we really took it on as our charge to provide all of these resources for the community at UCSF so that there's really lowering of any barrier to do the type of research that's related to the biology of aging and also health span and improvement of health ultimately within the community. That's fantastic. I mean, I should disclose to the listeners that I'm a UCSF alumnus myself. I did my thesis work there. And one of the things that I found so special about it was that there were all these little features of the way things were structured that created a kind of frictionless sense of community, where if you had a question about who was doing what, there was a way to figure out who was doing that. And I think that as UCSF has grown, has expanded to multiple campuses, that's just definitionally going to be more challenging. So it sounds like one of Bari's most important missions is actually network creation and community creation, which is of tremendous value, as Saul just explained. I just wanted to add something to what Saul just said and your reflection, which is that we really just started the Institute in February of 2021. So, you know, we're talking about building up community and resources at UCSF, but our full intention is to extend those connections and resources across to other institutes and other universities. So we're starting locally, but hopefully we'll have an impact beyond the UCSF campuses soon. That's a nice segue to the next question I wanted to ask, which is why now and why here? Why is UCSF in particular and the Bay Area in general the right place for an institute like Bari and why is 2021 the right time? Just simply geographically, UCSF is kind of in the middle of all of these other amazing places that have exciting research focused on the biology of aging. And that would be the Buck Institute and Berkeley and Stanford, Davis. And as you know, well, there's also an incredible neighborhood of biotech companies that are interested in aging these days. So just 
geographically, we're located in the center of all of that. UCSF, of course, is a public-facing university with a public mission. And in addition to all of the fantastic basic biology we have, we have access to a world-class clinical enterprise. And so we have the ability to directly connect what we're finding in the labs to the clinic. In addition, we have epidemiologists, we have the geriatricians, we have people who are thinking about the social impacts of an aging populace. And so we have the ability to bring all of those together. Saul, you've been at UCSF for a few years longer than Dr. Jones. How would you say that the collaborative culture of UCSF is going to help Bari succeed? Oh, I think that's one of the keys, right? When people come or their students come and, you know, they're deciding on a graduate school or when we're recruiting faculty, you know, people often say, what makes UCSF special? And the first thing out of so many of our mouths is community. That's just the first thing that we think about is this idea of community, these amazing interactions that just sort of serendipitously happen and then amazing biology and science and healthcare come from it. So I, I think, you know, that that spirit of community, I think, is what drove the creation of Bari. And I think it's the mission that is moving Bari forward. And I think it's also what's going to sort of serve as the magnet for, you know, other institutions around the world to come and sort of partner with us. So really, I think that's the essence of the entire institute is this idea of community. Of course, UCSF is unique. We're a health-centered institution, right? We don't have undergraduates. We're really focused on healthcare and therapeutics and medicine. And knowing just how the population is aging, seeing that we need to do something transformative quickly, right, in the next 10, 15 years before the population grows even more, I think we're poised incredibly well. Like Leanne said, we think about aging from so many perspectives. For me, I'm a basic biology of aging. I look at mechanisms and molecules and their effect on sort of the aging brain. But eventually, I want to translate that into helping someone with dementia, into maintaining cognitive health. But there's this big gap between what I can do, let's say, in a mouse model and actually getting it into the clinic. And I think UCSF has every aspect from mechanism all the way to healthcare, bench care, right? Like really thinking about quality of life. And I think by connecting that, we're going to be able to facilitate that. We often talk about it. Startups are built around this idea, but here we have an institution where everyone is so close to each other. They have all the expertise that just by building a series of bridges, I think we'll have an entire roadmap from beginning to end. That idea really resonates for me. And I, again, to go back to my own experience, I remember back when, uh, long before Mission Bay existed, or before it was more than a twinkle in someone's eye, everything at UCSF was at the Parnassus campus. And one of the features was that we were all in these three high towers, you know, Building S and HSE and HSW, it was this vertically arranged campus. And you literally ran into everybody in the university, in the elevator every day. And you saw your colleagues and you talked to them. And even though you're in different labs, everyone kind of knew just through this, it wasn't a water cooler, it was an elevator conversation. We, we kind of kept touch with uh, how things were going on. And so it's really nice to see that, that Bari has this focus on community and creating that network that's going to create opportunities to advance people's science through collaboration. That it's just so essential to the DNA of UCSF. It's really nice to see that that culture being propagated forward. It's really funny that you say that because when people come to sort of visit or they ask us where the administrative hub of Bari is, so we're, we're actually located in between the S building that you said and one of the towers on the west side near sort of facing the Pacific Ocean, and people might get lost. They're like, oh my goodness, this is a maze, you know? And I was just <laughs> along that way, as you're getting lost, 
you're going to bump into students and postdocs and faculty and have the conversations that we want to have organically. That's where you're going to figure out, oh my goodness, I'm doing an exercise study in mice and you're doing an exercise student in the elderly. We need to connect and figure out whether my mechanisms are reflected in humans. That exactly what you said, this idea of a maze and these interactions that you have is what we want to sort of foster. Serendipity is easy when you're relatively small, but as you grow, you need to think about how to recreate that little room in which you got started and give everyone else the chance to experience that really exhilarating quality of just like bumping into somebody and, you know, maybe having a cup of coffee and having a great idea that would never have emerged if that hadn't happened. So I think that's really fantastic. So this is a great transition onto the next part of what I want to talk to you both about, which we've just covered a few things that are special about UCSF. But now I want to move into a, a little bit of a deeper question. Now that Bari exists and understanding that it's just a few months old now, what can be done now that couldn't be done before? Well, I think that we have and are laying the foundation for these bridges that Saul referred to. We are building up core resources that will allow people to explore questions related to the basic biology of aging and other models, such as naked mole rats. We are providing resources, funding for collaborations between basic scientists and clinician scientists. We are establishing a vocabulary and a better understanding of the languages that each group uses to improve communication across all of the disciplines, you know, from the basic biology of aging through the translational, epidemiological, and the rest. So, you know, we are improving the ability of everyone to take their discoveries and hopefully have a much wider and a much more long-lasting impact. From my perspective, having been there a few years, oftentimes you'll have these conversations from people. Maybe they're looking at something like cancer, you know, and it's an age-related disease or the type of cancer they're focusing on, yet all of their models are, you know, these young animals that don't reflect the correct physiology. But it's, it can be daunting, you know, going up to a faculty and saying, hey, you need to wait a year and a half to actually reflect the condition in the humans. If there's not a community there that says, hey, you know what, we've done this, not in cancer, but we've done this in a different context and we can help you through it. And on top of that, you know what, we are able to provide some resources. Let us try and fund this pilot experiment where you do age out these animals. And we know that other places may not fund this because it's risky, but we can. So we're really leveraging some of these resources to both facilitate questions that people have wanted to ask for a long time, but maybe just didn't feel that they had the support to do it. And I think those are really the catalysts that we're trying to provide at this early stage. Like you said, right now, we're just getting started. So we're trying to take this you know, relatively smaller group where we can still sort of talk to each other and we can identify these key questions within their research programs and say, hey, yeah, we can do this. You know, Leanne gave a really great example of naked mole rats. There's so much biology there, but that resource is not available. And we're actively in the process of, you know, having, you know, a colony within UCSF because there's multiple faculty at UCSF that say, we need this to move forward. This would be a great resource. So we're really there to leverage these resources as a catalyst to really just push this research forward. We're just trying to lower the activation energy and any barriers that exist, whether that is access to aging rodent models or another type of human tissue to see whether or not your findings may hold true in other tissues. So providing these core resources and providing a network is really just the beginning. 
Yeah, so this is a really fascinating discussion of the work that you plan on doing, but I want to drill down into several of the things that you brought up so far. But before we jump ahead to that, I wanted to maybe have a brief conversation about what inspired the foundation of the Institute. I can give you both the history as well as how we got to this moment. And really in terms of like the resources, the foresight, the sort of visionary driving force, you know, not from the bench, but really from the side of philanthropy, you know, that came from Barbara Baker, you know, whose late husband, of course, passed away. And it was really through conversations that we, the sort of biology of aging community had had with her over years. She's really been following this space for a long time. She's been really interested. And I think she saw an opportunity right now in this moment in time with the pressing need of healthcare, with the aging population, with the discoveries that are just happening so quickly, you know, with this high level transcriptomics and proteomics, we're just understanding a lot more about the basic biology. And she's been sort of following that. And I think she really understood where UCSF is, where we could go. And she wanted to partner and really sort of push that forward and really sort of give the Institute sort of really meat and teeth to be able to, to really make a transformative change into this space. Now, the back history behind it, you know, this sort of happened when I started at, at UCSF. I actually started in a program known as the Sandler Faculty Fellows. So right after graduate school, I actually started my own lab, kind of keeping up in this innovative kind of, you know, sort of spirit of UCSF. They allow one or two of these recently graduated PhD students to come and kind of play and they give you funding. And, you know, that's another area where philanthropy has been fantastic. And they sort of say, do your best science and go forward. And when I started, it was this incredible space where sort of Elizabeth Blackburn, right, was there with, you know, telomeres and amazing Nobel Prize for the discovery. And Cynthia Kenning was there. And I mean, that's textbook, right? Like lifespan is regulated by genes. Whoa, that's crazy. So that was this space that was happening at the time. You know, we have recruited other faculty. You know, there were people that were really looking at sort of the basic biology of aging, you know, people like Emmanuel Pasig in the hematopoietics um, stem cell system. And of course, right, when you're doing cutting edge pioneering research, those people are going to take on leadership roles. And, you know, people like Cynthia Kenyon at Calico and, you know, Emmanuel Pasig now stem cell director at Columbia. So, you know, these people went on to sort of apply, sort of transfer a little bit of the spirit globally. And we saw an opportunity where we could continue to build on that foundation that they established and really sort of direct it towards, you know, hopefully this translational approach where we could leverage the basic biology, continue the basic biology of aging, but really with an eye towards health span and translation. And that was really the vision. That's sort of where, where it started in that sort of moment. Of course, this would have been a few years ago. During that time, of course, is where, you know, Mrs. Baker was aware of what was going on and she was, you know, really cognizant and thinking about it. And then we decided then that an institute would be the best way to sort of transfer this idea of community in a very tangible way across UCSF. And we really think that that will then lead to an impact Bay Area, you know, hopefully around the world. But we needed it to be tangible. And that's where the idea of the institute came in. And of course, when you have an institute the first thing you have to do is identify the right leadership to make it work. You know, I think people often think about startups in the same way. You know, that core of founders is just so important. The same with academia, the same with institutes. And that is where we reached out to Leanne and Leanne was able to come and visit. And it's amazing to have a fresh pair of eyes because I think she did an amazing job of identifying 
how incredible the research was across from epidemiology to geriatrics to basic biology of aging. But she also identified the fact that we don't always have the best communication between the different fields. It's a bit sometimes maybe different for us to understand where things are coming from. And that's where she identified this is what we can do, right? We can establish a framework for all of us to talk to each other, all of us to complement our research, work with each other, and really push basic biology into translation. And that's really kind of the vision where it started and sort of what we're pushing. Fantastic. I think that a lot of our listeners would completely agree that the vision of founders and founding leadership can be so important to getting an institute or a company off to the right kind of start. One of the things that both of you have mentioned that Saul mentioned a couple of times in his last answer is translation. This is an idea that's near and dear to many of our listeners, translating findings about aging and longevity into the clinic. In fact, that's what gives this podcast its name. Before I ask you a question, I want to read a quote from the UCSF website about Bari's mission. One of the priorities it says is, being able to take an observation in the lab and immediately work with clinicians to develop a novel therapy or intervention to target the processes that contribute to aging is one of the immediate goals of the new institute. Therefore, fostering communication between basic scientists and clinicians to enhance translational medicine is essential. So that sounds very worthy. What I want to know is how specifically will Bari foster that communication and how specifically will it enhance and promote translational medicine, translational applications of the basic science that's being done at UCSF? Thanks for that question, Chris. And thanks for really laying out again what we have seen as our mission and set aside for us as central goals. I can say that of our founding members, we have at least 50% are clinicians, clinician scientists. So already we have the ability to have those conversations. In terms of infrastructure, we're trying to already lay the groundwork for setting up a program to do translational studies. So there's, of course, a tremendous number of clinical studies that are already happening at UCSF, but not so many that would relate to interventions that would impact older adults. And so I've already been in conversation and working together with a number of groups to try to determine what already exists, where would we need to invest resources to bring clinical studies and trials for older adults to campus? And where does that stand nationally? You know, what are the best practices now? And how can we bring either people or other investigators to UCSF to help teach us about the best way forward in that area? So we've got basic biologists clinicians talking already. We are providing resources and funding for collaborative studies between these groups. And we're trying to go ahead and think about how we can provide a framework for translational geroscience at UCSF. One of the thoughts that I have when you describe a mission like that is I think about QB3. And for listeners who aren't familiar, QB3 is University of California's hub for innovation and entrepreneurship in life science. And so I'm curious whether Bari will have any kind of incubator function like QB3 or whether you have a mechanism for scientists with suitable findings to be encouraged to reach out to enterprise founders via an entity like QB3. Or is there any other kind of pathway to commercialization that's going to be emphasized by Bari's work? I think that in the immediate future, so let's say the next two to three years, that's not 
something that is on our radar, at least with respect to having an incubator within Bari. However, probably aware of the new Baker Bioingenuity Hub at Berkeley that's been set up. And so it's also funded by the Baker Foundation as well. And so we've been in conversation with them about ways in which we can maintain open lines of communication. And certainly we want to be able to facilitate any discoveries at UCSF at the Parnassus campus. If they would have, if an investigator has an interest in taking it into the commercial space, then we would suggest that they look to doing that within the bioingenuity hub. Saul, you're a scientist with a few ideas lying around the lab that might someday be commercializable. What are your thoughts about this? One thing that, of course, just being in the area is really important are partnerships. So I think, you know, even in the short term, I think there's a lot of research. A lot of our members have science that I think would really be fruitful for partnerships with, you know, some of the biotech in the area to definitely have conversations. I think that from that perspective, you know, we don't have the incubator space within but we're definitely fostering and making those connections as well wherever I think appropriate. There are other entities, I think, at UCSF. For example, there's an ImmunoX initiative that was raised, and they've also leveraged partnerships with um, industry made a really nice sort of academic and industry relationship. And, you know, we can absolutely foster that even in the short term. From my perspective, one of the things that I've really realized is maybe lacking, and I think it's a place where UCSF can really shine you know, are things like what I do. I look at sort of the role of blood factors, whether it be exercise or young blood and their benefit. You know, we call it rejuvenation, really bringing back function. And we do a lot of this in animal studies, but then we need to validate things, right? People want to start a company, which means they need a target. But we need to know, is it changing in humans? And we have that ability to do that at UCSF. There's either ongoing intervention studies in patients um, that we can partner with, or we can actually start one with people that have done this a lot. You know, we have an amazing infrastructure for that. So I think that middle step is really important. And I think it's where we can really facilitate while we build, as Leanne said, sort of the, the more translational as we either recruit or establish the infrastructure to be able to bring in patients when we have our own intervention studies. But even now, there are ongoing studies that we can partner with where we can validate findings such as the ones in my lab, other findings, right, from the Bay Area or even from the U.S. with things that are already existing. And I think, you know, Bari is able to identify those people and really put them together with the right sort of basic biologists. I've talked a little bit about improving communication amongst scientists and clinicians and healthcare workers that are interested in problems related to aging and treating and helping older adults. But I also think that another important mission for Bari and something that we need to be thinking about is communicating really clearly those goals to the public. Again, you know, UCSF is a public university and our mission is human health. And we want to be able to interact with and connect with the community. So I'm hopeful that one of the things that we'll be able to do is to really clearly explain what our goals would be with translational studies and give people the opportunity to participate whenever they would want to. Again, you know, looking 10, 20 years down the line, we really want to impact human health, but this is going to ultimately impact our communities in really, really positive ways. So, you know, we really want to be able to include everyone in this conversation about how we're targeting 
aging and problems related to aging and improving human health. I couldn't agree more about the value of communicating with the community. I've seen the truth of that in, for example, the Buck Institute's excellent programs to reach out to their local community and to the nation at large. I have, even in the reaction to this podcast from the listenership, I think it's so important for both universities and companies to talk with the stakeholders in their work, which is essentially everybody, right? We're all aging, we all have a health span, and we all stand to benefit from the technological advances that are coming out of research, like the kind that's going to be happening at Bari, like the kind that's happening all over the Bay Area and all over the increasingly all over the country and all over the world. So it's really gratifying to hear that you're cognizant of that and that you're focused on that as a priority. So we're heading toward the end of the interview, and uh, I just have a few more questions for you. We've talked a lot about the promise of UCSF and how it's a great location for something like Bari. We've talked about why now is a great time to create an institute like this. You've both spoken very fluently about the background and history and inspiration of the institute and its mission. But um, I want to give you a chance to answer a question kind of that's the flip side of the coin. What have been the most challenging things about getting the institute started? From my perspective, I think it would be learning the languages of the other groups who are invested in our mission. I've learned a lot personally by talking with our geriatricians and thinking about the problems that they face and that older adults face. That to me has been one challenge. You know, I I don't want to imply that that's been negative. It's just been a learning process. Like we said, you know, it started in February. We're now in, you know, September is about half a year. And because from the very beginning, that spirit of community was so important. You know, I think one of the things, because, you know, as you alluded to, UCSF has multiple campuses, it's, you know, quite large. I think figuring out the best way to bring about this community was important. And in doing that, even defining kind of what do we see as aging research, right? And I think that's where Leanne was critical, you know, not only thinking about the way I think, right, which is molecular and biology of aging, but really thinking about the end goal being, you know, eventually improving health for the elderly. So I think that was one challenge, you know, which was really, how do you then bring together these different communities? I think one thing that worked in our favor was actually the fact that, you know, we have been virtual for almost two years now, and that facilitated a number of town halls. We were able to, you know, have multiple sort of meetings where we invited very globally, you know, we announced it to the entire university, you know, come learn a bit more. You know, if you've ever been interested, have been thinking about it, come and hear, you know, the opportunities that we have by starting this institute. And we started doing that even before the launch, right, to understand the needs of our community, to understand the strengths of the different communities and how we may be able to bring them together. So I think that was the very first one. Like I said, it was the timing worked in that everyone is so used to these virtual sort of, you know, meetings and town halls and question and answers that that allowed us to connect across campuses. And I think, you know, moving forward, you know, of course, we're going to have a combination of in-person meetings where we can actually, you know, hear about our science and bring the postdocs and the students and, you know, you know, have a few drinks, you know, wine and everything. But of course, we're also going to be able to leverage this virtual sort of community that we've all built. You know, even in my own lab, I have a hybrid system now where I'm in lab part of the week and I'm at home part of the week. And these sort of interactions have just become natural. So I think that was one of the challenges was bringing about this actual tangible community. And this is an obviously work in progress. But again, we've also leveraged some of the things that we've learned, I think, over the last years to get there. We relied heavily on our external advisory board for advice with respect to how best to start 
building our membership and our community, their input was invaluable, really. We just had a call for what we refer to as Bari Investigator Awards. And these are pilot awards, innovation awards that will really help jumpstart a lot of the exciting research that's going to be happening. And that was based on conversations with them. And to their credit, really, you know, I've been told multiple times that this broad vision of bringing everyone together under one virtual roof uh, will be difficult. Uh, Really, I've heard it multiple times from different people. But I, I am so determined to make it happen. And our external advisory board didn't flinch. You know, they just, well, that's what you want to do. Then here are some strategies for making that happen. So we're really, really grateful to them. In closing, I just want to ask kind of a big picture question of both of you. What are your top priorities over the next year or so? And what do you personally hope that Bari can achieve over the next, say, five to 10 years? Mm, Top priorities. There's so many exciting things. My goodness. You know, right now, I think we've said multiple times, we just kind of solicited our first membership. We've been able to fund both graduate students and investigators. We have a call out for applications for assistant associate professors. And so seeing those applications and interviewing those individuals, that's going to be really exciting things that happen in the next few months. You know, we've, we've saw mentioned the Sandler Fellows Program. We're supporting a Sandler Fellow, Andrew Yang, who's coming from Stanford, who did his PhD in Tony Weiss Corey's lab. So we're investing a lot right now in building up the community. We hope to have a call for funding of postdoctoral fellows next spring. So right now it's in investing in the community and building up all of the resources to help people jumpstart their research programs. That's kind of the the next year, I think. In terms of, you know, the 10, 20 year vision moving forward, what I think would be incredible, what I'm really hopeful that we will be able to do is to be a place where an individual can come to get a personalized plan for improving their health or for maintaining their health. I think that we can take into consideration all of a person's information and consider what are going to be the best interventions and plans for that person. I mean, I think we know that we all age in a very different way. And I think that ultimately, it's not going to be a one size fits all. So we're going to need to integrate this concept of personalized medicine into helping people think about how to age in the best way or the best way possible. So to maintain their independence for as long as possible. That's what I think would be incredible. On my end, I just have to say, I'm, I'm super stoked about this next year. It's been incredible to see how fast things can move. I can't wait to see in a year. So for example, come September of 2022, you know, I expect to have new people to play with, right? We're going to have hopefully either a couple of assistant professors or an assistant and associate professor bringing in a new perspective, maybe a new model, a new system. Every time you bring in someone new, it changes the landscape. So that makes me excited. You know, with Andrew coming, you know, he's incredible. He's a bioengineer. We're getting a completely different perspective already within the next few months. And you have these Bari investigators, right? We're giving them some resources, some funds to try and do some science that either they they were thinking about and couldn't or somehow bridging it to aging. And I just can't wait to hear and see just what they've been up to in a year. Of course, right? These are, we're trying to fund high risk, high reward. Some things won't work and some things will. And I just can't wait to see 
how from this early sort of opportunity and resources that we do, how are we changing the landscape, you know, over the next five or 10 years? I have no doubt that things that we are you know, sort of planting and sowing right now will just really prove to be really fruitful, I think, in the next five years. I think our listeners would agree that we are all excited to see what happens as well. Dr. Jones, Dr. Vieta, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Many thanks as well to our listeners and subscribers. If you have feedback or suggestions for future episodes of Translating Aging, you can contact us by email at podcast at bioagelabs.com or on Twitter at bioagepodcast. You can also follow our sponsor, BioAge Labs, on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time.